Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Life Works Better with Coach Mel. Hey, we're series 14, episode number five. This is a great day. This is number world. five already? Yes. Wow. Can you believe it? Well, at this point, I could believe most anything <laughs> since we went 24 with prayer. Right. Life works better with worship, guys. We're still in it, and it's going to be a great, great episode today. We're so excited that you've joined us today. Be sure to share this uh, broadcast to your friends, your family. Take the link and just text as many people as you can because they need to know how life works better with worship. Today's drink is for Principia, our proud sponsors of Life Works Better with Coach Mel. And I am sipping on a delicious Boba Thai Tea. And it's a new addition to Principio. Yes. I love it. And uh, mine is the Blue Moon. What? Yeah. The blue, the blue Moon. The Blue Moon of Clarissa. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds scary. <laughs> Instead of Kentucky. <laughs> this is great. It's a new addition to Principio. It's nice, refreshing. It's uh, very cool because the summer months are heading our way. And uh, I love this. And it's, it has a blue color to it. And mine is made with um, oak milk, which is my preference. Yeah. And I have those boba, um, those little boba bubble things in the bottle, bottom of it. Yeah, boba bubbles in the bubble. And it's so bubble. good. And it's authentic. It's not like the others that you bite and it kind of pops in your mouth. This is more robust and dense. And I love it. Mm. I absolutely love it. Okay, and... There are two flavors, too. Yes. Yes, the Blue Moon, but I can't remember the other one. We'll call that flavor pink. <laughs> <laughs> Just call it pink. Hey, it, it, it does have a nice pink hue to it, so it's let's beautiful. call that the sunrise. Yeah. we got the sunrise and the blue moon. I love it. I love it. It's so So now delicious. we'll just have to convince Liz that that's what we ought to call them. But yeah. I'm, she, she's going to need to put the products that go into this, the ingredients, on the website so people can order it. Mm -hmm. And she'll also post the recipe. Yeah, I hope not the whole recipe. You know, it's kind of one of those things you post maybe about 80%. But Well, uh, like I said, she shouldn't put the whole recipe. You didn't let me finish. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry she'll, to she'll cut you put, off. <laughs> <laughs> that, that she'll put the recipe, but not in its entirety. Right. So it'll leave them up. Oh, you leave. did a wrap there. Did you hear that? We did what? You did a wrap. I, I did a wrap. Is it time to quit? No. <laughs> Too legit to quit. <laughs> Oh We're having way too much fun <laughs> way here. Too much fun. So I think this is the Thai Blue Moon something. I don't know. It's probably in the. In I, the I guess it is. That that is beautiful. That is gorgeous. I think guys, go out to the uh, website. Go to Principio Coffee and Tea, and you'll see a picture uh, of the two uh, boba teas that are out there. They're yes. gorgeous. They're beautifully made. I love them. All right, and so here we are. Thanks to Principio Coffee and Tea. Yes. Here yes. we are again, perking right along. We are doing it. And, I love it. And we're brewing up some great stuff. Mm -hmm. And the Cinnabon um, latte, latte yeah. the cold. Oh, yes. It's so good, guys. If you're not in Birmingham, I'm so sorry. But if you are, <laughs> get to Principio. She'll have it ready for you. Yes. Oh, All so right. That's good. So, Coach, you have some great things uh, to talk about today. We talked a little bit off air, and you know how we do. Up, oh, stop. Let's get the good stuff on the air. Yes. So you you were sharing um, earlier about a dream you had. Yes. Do you want to kick it off with the dream, or how do you want to do it? Uh, yes, I I think so. And uh, so today we're we're gonna we're gonna explore a little bit, uh, somewhat into church history, mm. 
because worship is very much a part of the history of the church. And uh, so we're going to talk about that and people saying, well, there's this kind of worship and that kind of worship and this is my tradition and that's your tradition and worship gets into a tradition. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about church history, but uh, so uh, yes, I will talk about a dream that I had. This was about three years ago. It was very early one morning, and I don't really remember if I was half awake or half asleep. Was the glass half empty or half full? And right. Uncle Herm would just say, just get a smaller glass and fill it up. But anyway, that's Uncle Herm. <laughs> I love that's our Uncle Herm for today. Quit arguing, just get a smaller glass. <laughs> call it a day. <laughs> and, call it, and call it full. <laughs> So I just had to throw that one in there. All right, had one of those in a while, an Uncle Herman moment. Yes, and that that was a good one there. So uh, half awake, half asleep, but uh, I I really would call it more of an encounter. Mm -hmm. And this person appeared to me, and I just had the presence of mind in the encounter Mm -hmm. to know that this person was from first century Rome. I just felt like I was there in his context. Right. And just kind of the, the surroundings, and he was dressed as a commoner would have been, you know, with just a short type uh, laborer's robe. Mm-hmm. And so he comes up to me and he says, uh, tell me, brother, what is it like when followers of the Nazarene gather? Now, being a coach, I love a great question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, of course, was a good one. What is it like when followers right. of the Nazarene gather? I would, I would you know, put that question out there to our audience. What, what is it like when followers of the Nazarene gather? See what you can do about describing uh, what that would look like. So just without even thinking, I just was kind of the conscious part of me was watching my subconscious in the dream just say this. I said, well, we get together in groups of 50 to 5,000, sometimes more, sometimes less, uh, usually seated in rows facing a race platform where one person or a small group of individuals go through a scripted program with limited interaction from the people in the rows. Mm. Now, for being half awake or half asleep, I thought that was pretty good description. I mean, it's like, yeah. He put his hand out when I said that, and he said, Brother, I did not ask you to describe the theater. I ask you what is it like when followers of the way gather. And he disappeared. Wow. Silence was also my reaction. Definitely an encounter. And so <clears throat> I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that, sharing that with people. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing to me, Clarissa, is that Every time I share that with someone, it goes to a place within them that that is deep. Mm-hmm. And it has always put them in a position of pondering, I would call it. Yeah, it's thought-provoking. And just uh, and the creativity of the whole dream world. And, and by the way, we're, we're going to do... Uh, I just decided, I just added to the list, so we're going to have to be around at least another 27 years because we had 26 years (laughs) of material to go through. But uh, 
uh, life works better with dreams. We're going to talk about dreams and not just the dreams that we have of what we want to do in life, but the nighttime parable kind of dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to do that. But not today. We're just going to talk about no. this one. Yeah, so, yeah, the, I would call that person a time immigrant, a time immigrant, like a time traveler. And if folks will just kind of hang on with us for a little while, uh, those things were definitely biblical. Mm-hmm. There were people that appeared out of their uh, chronological context <laughs> from time to time <laughs> mm-hmm. in the scriptures. And... Uh, for some reason, we, we kind of get, we relegate the, the Bible just to like storybook land or something, where that those kind of things happen, but that's in another kind of existence. No, that other kind of existence is still in existence, <laughs> because that's the eternal side of us and the eternal side of, of God. But just, just to think about that, uh, that first, this, uh, this person described what we would call a Christian in two different ways. The first, and it was kind of the, the encounter was bookended with two descriptions of Christ followers. One was followers of the Nazarene. The second was followers of the way. Now, in church history, uh, Christ followers were called those two things between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 11 because in Acts chapter 11, Luke tells us that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So that's when the term Christian was first applied to someone. And that is probably five to seven years after Acts chapter 2, after the day of Pentecost. Okay, so that's A.D. After yes, Christ? Yes, yeah. right. And uh, so this, this time traveler was from somewhere in that, in that time frame mm-hmm. because he didn't say what is it like when Christians gather or believers, what it, but followers of the Nazarene and then followers of the way. So from somewhere in that, and you know, we we have uh, we have some good description of, of what happened and what it looked like when followers of the Nazarene and followers of the way gathered uh, from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 11. As a matter of fact, when the followers of the way and followers of the Nazarene, when they gathered in a specific way that, that was spirit-led in Acts chapter 2, only then did that type of meeting develop a Christian, develop someone that someone in the outside world would look at them and say, that looks like a little Jesus, which is what the word Christian means. And, and so when did you say that evolved? In uh, Acts chapter 11, uh, where, where Luke tells us that because of Paul and Barnabas and their teaching at, at the church at Antioch, mm-hmm. where there was great revival. As a matter of fact, that was the, that was the first major uh, location shift of the Christian community and Christian influence was when it shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch. Mm. And that happened in Acts chapter 11 and, and somewhere somewhere probably around 40 A.D. Uh, but uh, it was, uh, you know, five to seven years after Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Mm. Okay, so, I, I, so here, here was this person and asking me, what is it like when, when, as we would say today, believers or Christians gather? And so I described to him uh, a normal, quote-unquote normal, and normal depends on what you're used to, of course. Right. But uh, for most of us, uh, I described what, uh, what a Sunday morning church service would look like, mm-hmm. right? 
And right away, he did not identify that at all with followers of the way or followers of the Nazarene. He identified it right away with what? The theater. Because that's exactly what the theater looked like in his day. People met in rows, looking towards a raised platform where one person or a small group of people went through a scripted program with limited interaction with the people. Now, not, not that there was no interaction. There was some applause, a little bit of response, but limited interaction, limited by the venue, limited by the tradition. The people on the stage were the ones that were there to get the attention and to do the talking and to be in charge. And, Clarissa, that is not what the meetings of the earliest followers of the Nazarene looked like. It did not look like a theater. And so, can I just go ahead and make this statement for us? Yes. Neither did it look like regular Sunday morning church today that most of us go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, when you, when you think about this, we, we get together for worship. We call that the worship service. Uh, we're going to worship together, public worship, a house of worship, all those things. Well, uh, and we're talking about life works better with worship. And it is the, the main responsibility of leadership in the kingdom, kingdom of heaven, what we would call the church today. I would say the main responsibility of leadership is not to convince people to do something. It's not to talk people into something. It's not to try to get them to follow a particular belief system. We're going to address that shortly here. But I'm convinced that uh, an answer that, uh, that took me a year to come to a few years ago, because I, I, in, in the coaching context, uh, I changed my uh, end-of-year practice Instead of setting goals for the coming year, I just asked the Lord, Lord, what is the question I need to find an answer to in the coming year? And so a few years ago, that one question that I felt like came from the from Holy Spirit that I need to find an answer to is, what is leadership? And what is the, the primary role of leadership? I, I remember last week... Um Maybe the week before we talked a little bit about that question, um, and I found that to be uh, a very thought-provoking question, and it's an interesting way to come into the new years. It's it's a different way of doing things. Yes, uh, and I like that it's it centralizes things and it streamlines things. Yes, to where you're just not all over place on a vision board and I don't have anything about (laughs) let me just say this you know I have I don't have anything against vision boards I'm good with vision boards and I think it gives you vision Uh, but sometimes I think it's so convoluted and you have so much on the board to where you're trying to do so many things and it's not streamlined yes and I like that question I remember you sharing that a couple of weeks ago about uh, about that. And so how, how do you implement that? I mean, like we're almost six months into the year. How has that question evolved for 2023? Well, uh, that question was actually one for a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different question this year, which we'll get to that later. Okay. But, uh, but the question of what is the primary role of leadership? Mm-hmm. So then the follow-up question that I ask after that is, uh, well, what is leadership? Mm-hmm. And then what is its primary role or mm-hmm the primary role of leaders. And so th- this is the, a working definition that has served me well 
uh, as a, a, a definition to that. That the, the primary role of leadership in the kingdom is to create an environment so that what's in the heart of the Father God can be done by Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. So the primary task of leadership is to create an environment. I'm not there to convince anybody of anything. I'm just there to create an environment. So then the question comes, well, what, what does that environment look like? So if, if I want to, to be involved in leadership, and then I need to, to have an understanding of what is the best kind of environment for what's in the heart of the Father to be done by the power of the Spirit in the name of the Son, Jesus. I love the, the practical Trinitarianism <laughs> mm-hmm. of just of that definition, getting, getting all parts of the Trinity involved. And uh, we're not Trinitarian until we become personally involved with each member of the Trinity in their fullest expression. You know, uh, it takes me back, and then most of us, um, I'm sure most of the people who are on the podcast listening, we know at 1002, we're praying for disciples. Yes. And so when I'm listening to you talk, when we're praying for those disciples, we're praying for disciples to go out into the very atmosphere that you're saying needs to be set. Yes. That's that, the leadership. We're praying that disciples are taught, but they're also leaders. Yes. You know, and those disciples are going out so they can lead. Yes. Uh, as well. And I, I, I just think it, that kind of, it's like full circle to me. Yes, because they, uh, discipleship, I mean, and how do you make a disciple? Well, you have, there have to be a leader. Has to be a leader. What does a leader do? A leader has to create an environment. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, uh, to make a disciple does not mean teaching him anything. It just means create an environment so that the truth that's in the heart of the Father can be expressed by the Holy Spirit mm. in the name and the authority of Jesus. I'm going to run on that. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's put all this in context. Yes. We're talking about worship. Life mm. works better with worship. So when we gather for worship, let, let, let's don't call it that unless it is. Mm. There you go. Okay, so, so what, what is worship? Well, uh, worship is that environment. Mm. <laughs> we create an environment of worship. Now, I'm going to go ahead and step out and say this. It's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to, to create uh, a theater environment and to create an environment of worship in the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. Especially when we look at what the followers of the way and followers of the Nazarene did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, I see some red flags out there because people have told me this, hey, well, just because they did it that way in the beginning, that doesn't mean we need to do it now. That was an expression of their culture. God uses culture, and so all this is an expression of culture, so that's the way it needs to be. Well, okay, let's go that. God uses culture, but so does the enemy. Mm. Wow. But the enemy never uses worship. Impossible. (laughs) But the enemy uses culture, Mm -hmm. and the enemy uses culture against us. And I will say that the enemy has used culture against us as the body of Christ, mm-hmm. making us think. You know, uh, I've heard this statement 
uh, said on a number of occasions over the last few decades that for some reason the world out there needs to get that uh, usually has an idea for something that's good or a way to change before the church ever catches on, and usually one or two generations later, you know, the the church catches on. Well, uh, we have uh, this whole idea of, of of what we now call worship. I'm I'm convinced of this, that we're not worshiping because what we wanted to do to look like the world and to get the people that went to the theater, let's just put it in context here, to get the people that go to the theater on Saturday night, we're talking probably 4th century and the 300s in the Roman Empire, uh, to get the people who go to the theater on Saturday night, to get them to come to quote-unquote worship on Sunday morning, we need to make it look like what it looked like when they were to the theater on Saturday night so they would feel comfortable. And so, so. Did you ever play this game <laughs> when you were a kid? And they do them in some icebreakers too. Someone will tell a story to one person, and they'll take that story and take it. You know, that person will say it to yes, another person, yes. and by the time it gets back, it's totally different. Well, we used to call that gossip. We <laughs> call that game gossip, AKA. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're victims of that. And what I mean by that is what it was in in its authenticity, 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 authenticity. It's the boba tea. It's the no, boba no, no, tea. No, no, no. Yeah, it, it's those boba. <laughs> it's the boba balls. Those boba <laughs> bubbles that you have in your mouth. <laughs> it's got me. But when you think about that, uh, AD, over the years, how it's been changed, mm-hmm. watered down, misunderstood, ill taught. And so now we're we're left with this. Over the years, it, it reminds me of that game. Yeah. Is it, it left the true essence of, of of what worship is all about? Yes. Commercialized, uh, individualized, um, you know, idolatry. You know, who are we worshiping here? Well, let me stop. Yeah. <laughs> Take another sip of my tea. <laughs> take another sip of bubble tea. <laughs> I'm about to get uh, or as Keith Green used to say, take another trip around Mount Sinai. <laughs> oh, see, that's a laugh right there. That's runnable. That's runnable. Uh, okay, so uh, where we're going with all this? We're talking about worship. Well, do we even know what worship is? That's it. Okay, so life works better with worship, but life does not just work better with what we call worship so many times. Oh, what we've been led to believe. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's go back to some terminology. Word nerd, mm. word nerd alert. Here it is. So uh, most of us have have heard the term orthodox, yes, or orthodoxy, yes. And I mean that's used in a lot of different ways. You know, someone may be an unorthodox singer or an un- unorthodox uh, musician. You know, that simply means someone that, what, what do you think of whenever I say someone is an unorthodox uh, musician or singer or? Yeah, I've heard it so many ways. Sometimes it's unorthodox. It's like, oh, it's just kind of not the thing or the right thing to do. Is there... Not the right thing yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's good reason that you would, would think that because the uh, as the word nerd comes out here, 
on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Life works better with word nerds. It really does. <laughs> That's a series. Okay. Orthodox. Orthodoxy. That is a compound Greek word that sounds just like that, mm-hmm. orthodox. And it comes from two words. One word in Greek is ortho. Now think about this, orthodonics, mm-hmm. ortho, uh, what's the word, orthopedic, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Ortho is the Greek word that means correct mm-hmm. or proper. Orthodonics, they're going to make your teeth correct. You're going to have a proper-looking mm-hmm. mouthful of teeth. Yes, we like them. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, the, and, and I, I looked this up, and I, I, sometimes I, I talk about word nerds, and, and I don't give a, any kind of reference, but now in the age of Google, you can find out all this stuff just quicker than I can tell you where it is. But the, the church started redefining the term orthodox, in the early 300s. Now, that was the time of Constantine, when Constantine legalized Christianity, said Christianity is a legit religion. Mm-hmm. We're going to quit persecuting them. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you want to be a Christ follower. But it's also okay if you want to do all these others, but, right. you know, it's okay to be a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. And so he, he made it a popular thing to do. And so he said, as a matter of fact, uh, I want to. Uh, I want to. Get this this Christian thing is just the. They're they're like. Uh, he didn't necessarily say this with these words, but this was the idea. Uh, these Christians are like are like fleas. They're just multiplied and they're infesting everything that we do. So we're going to have to either whip them or join them, and we've persecuted them for for decades, if not centuries, and they just keep on growing. So we're going to have to let them join us because we're going to have to control them. And the only way we can control them is to legalize them. Are we talking legalizing alcohol and legalizing pot and legalizing gambling? The only way we're going to control something is to legalize it. Wow. The preach is about to come out come in Come on me. with it. Come on, Pastor. And so he said, okay, we can't control this. I can't control it. So we're going to legalize it. So we can control it. And then he said, okay, this is what needs to happen. We're going to build buildings because this thing of, of, of Christians uh, and these Christ followers just meeting in, in, in houses and meeting out, in, in, uh, out by the river and some public places and all that, uh, that's just like they're just multiplying. We can't control them. They're taking over the empire. So we're going to build a place for them to go. And you know, it wasn't but uh, two or three generations in the future from that, Clarissa, that there was a Roman emperor in the age of Christian Roman Empire who outlawed Christians meeting in homes or in public places or outdoors and said the only place that you're able to meet is in a building that is built for or dedicated to Christian worship. It's, wow. I mean, history is so important. Yes. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> and so then they started redefining the word orthodox. Now, so we just now just accept orthodox means correct teaching. If, if, it, if someone's orthodox or there's a Christian, they're either orthodox or heterodox. They're either correct or they're heretic. Uh, ortho meaning correct. Hera meaning other or different. So the church redefined that. So what was the, what was the meaning of that word in the beginning? 
Well, it, it, it's simple. It's right there in the Greek word. Orthodox comes from the Greek word doxy, which means praise, glory, or worship. Correct worship. Yes. So the, the, when the church was, was really uh, overcoming the world, who that sounds, <laughs> that has a, a welcome ring to yeah. it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. When the church was overcoming the world, and the world not just out there in uh, the Roman Empire land, but the world that's within each person, mm-hmm. when the teachings of Jesus would, would be overcoming what was inside of us. Uh, they had a word for that. They, in the beginning, orthodox, it's like, okay, are you orthodox? Is that orthodox? What does that mean? In the beginning, it was like, how do you worship? You show me how you worship, and I'll tell you whether it's correct and whether or not it's going to really produce what God wants it to be, what God wants to be produced. How do you worship? What do you do when you come together? Is it correct? If it's not correct, you're not orthodox. And the apostles would not have approved. Therefore, we say that Jesus himself, as the head of the church, head of the glace, would not have approved. So show me how you worship, and I will tell you how correct you are in making disciples. Now, there was a word for this correct teaching. It's orthodidache. Didache is the Greek word for teaching or doctrine. And that's not the way it was used originally. What it was originally was, how do you worship? And so the powers that were changed the definition of that and said, okay, all you have to do is just say that you agree to these teachings and then you're orthodox. And that's how they started saying whether or not someone was accepted within the legal circles of Christianity. So what is correct worship? Uh, it, uh, it looks like we're going to need to get into this in another uh, podcast, but again, I go back to this person that appeared to me in this encounter. And basically what he was asking, what does it look like when followers of the Nazarene gather? What he was asking is, what, is, what does the worship experience look like in your life? And if it looks like the world... I'm not sure it can overcome it. That which has been overcome by the world has a difficult time then overcoming that world. I want to say that one more time and we'll close out. That which has been overcome by the world has a difficult time overcoming that same world. And we've been at this for 2,000 years now. And you look at a map of the world, and I have to be honest and say we've not done a very good job because we've not understood what it really means to gather and worship. Wow. You know, Coach, I was listening to you and realized that everything that Christianity went through in order to allow us the freedom to worship. I should be ashamed. Hmm. Yeah. 
because I'm not I'm not deeming it to be as sacred as it really is. Mm. And I don't do enough of it. One time a day, it's not enough. It's not enough. Okay, well, we'll see you guys back here next week. (laughs) 